Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Reinventing Life and Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform their businesses, stay relevant, meet the needs of their customers, and do the impossible every day. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you're in the right place. I always say that. We always mean it because it's true, because this is where the best run. Let's look at our opening quote. I have it. It's called The Buzz. What's the buzz on the street? I found an interesting quote that'll bring us into the topic today. I found it on techtech.co, the website slash news. Let me just read the quote and then I'll tell you what we're going to be focusing on here. And this is, by the way, one of our newest series in the Game Changers family. So shout out to Michelle Hickey and Vivian Wong at SAP for putting this together. Here's the quote. Highly developed gadgets connected to the Internet have changed the way we communicate, use humor, study, work, shop, play, and behave, unquote. Now, if that isn't a global look at what's happening in the world today, come on, you probably have some of those gadgets. If you're listening to this show online, we know you're connected to the Internet. It's probably part of what has changed in your life. Everything, everywhere, whatever we do, wherever we are, whoever we are. So let me give you a little bit of an overview. Digitalization and innovation are disrupting our lives, our businesses, and the world around the world. How does this impact you? Well, we already heard a little bit about it in my opening quote. But let me give you a couple more ways. Innovation experts, in their infinite wisdom, predict that by next year, that's right, 2020 isn't that far away, six less than six months, the average person will have more conversation with bots than they'll have with their significant others. That may be good. I don't know. It depends on your relationship. Here's another one. By 2030, which is 10 years and a little bit away, the largest Internet company will be education-based and will have smart bot instructors who personalize, and I'm using who advisedly, who or that personalize every student's lessons. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And one more, this may hit to the heart, excuse the pun here, you'll find out why, the heart of, of health. Machine learning may soon be able to predict heart attacks four hours before they happen with 80% accuracy, according to research being done right now at Carnegie Mellon. That is impressive and good and scary. Yes, that's all good. So we're going to have three experts on the panel today. I'm going to tell you who they are, and they're going to tell us what their interpretation is of how our lives are being automated. Yes, the topic is automating your business and your life, embracing technologies. We're going to have a broad brush look at what is changing, what is out there, and what it means to each of us and all of us. So in just a moment, I'll be happy to welcome back a returning panelist. It's Julian Kopp. He spells his last name. K-O-P-P. He's a partner now at Deloitte France. I should say Deloitte France. And we're happy to have Julian back. We'll hear from him in just a moment. Joining him are two newcomers, Mike Flanagan. And if you're looking for Mike, he spells his last name with lots of A's and N's. Mike, forgive me for this, but I had to look three times to get it. F-L-A-N-N-A-G-A-N. There you go. He's a Senior Vice President of Intelligent Enterprise Solutions at SAP. Welcome, Mike. And joining us, rounding out the panel, is Jana Richter. I'm trying to do my best with the German proper pronunciation. R-I-C-H-T-E-R, and Jana is the Chief Product Owner, 
Leonardo machine learning applications at SAP. All I can tell you is they're all very smart and they have a lot to say. So welcome to my experts. Julian Kopp at Deloitte France. And by the way, shout out to your colleague at Deloitte. She's in Canada, Carla Neil Slavin, who is always part of what we're doing here. Uh, Julian sent us a quote from Steve Jobs. And Julian, I don't know if you know this, but the day I launched my very first Game Changers radio show for SAP was October 5th, 2011. And the show was called Breakfast with Game Changers. It later got changed to Coffee Break with Game Changers. That was the same day that Steve Jobs passed away. So I automatically knew the end date on his bio. Anybody hasn't heard about Steve Jobs? My goodness. Stephen Paul Jobs, 1955 to October 5th, 2011. American business magnate, investor, chairman, CEO, and co-founder of Apple Inc. Chairman and majority shareholder of Pixar. Member of the Walt Disney Company's board of directors and on and on and on. Where would we be without Steve Jobs? So here's the quote. My observation is that the doers are the major thinkers. The people that really create the things that change the industry are both the thinker-doer in the same person. What a fabulous quote. Julian Kopp, bienvenue, welcome, comment ça va? Very good, thank you. Um, uh, Yeah, good times in France right now. Um, And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a quote that... uh, it's been always dear to my heart. I used to work for Apple when I started my uh, my career, and uh, Steve Jobs was still living back then. I'm not that old, um, but um, yeah, I definitely believe this is, uh, especially in cognitive, this is a definite aspect of, of what we need to consider if you want to be, uh, you know, able to discuss. You will learn so much, so much from doing uh, the things and making them happen. Uh, building a cognitive tool is only half the story. Running it and making it even better over years and iterations is uh, is a much bigger story. So, uh, very important quote to us. I I agree. I love the quote. I haven't heard this one, and you mentioned to me in your notes that this uh, came from a documentary series about computing that was co-produced by WGBH in Boston, a very well-known TV station, and BBC TV, and it was released in 1992, but they filmed it in 1990, and uh, the title was The Machine That Changed the World. So that's a great reference point. Julian, I love the concept of the thinker and the doer, not just walking into a room or sitting at a bar or going to a family dinner or even a business meeting and say, I think we should do this and then, okay, somebody do it. So what Jobs, I think, was trying to say was it can be embodied in one person to take the idea, run with it, and produce it. Is that where we're thinking about this? Yeah, and uh, then he also expands it a little bit. He says, uh, even if it's not in the same person uh, and you have it in two persons, then to work together and then to have you know respect for each other. Um, so I think it's a big uh, introduction to what we call now agility, where we have a lot of you mm-hmm. know, people and different talent working together in a small team. So uh, a quote from uh, from 1990, but uh, that is uh, still very current. And uh, you can be that, that same person with both skills, or, or you can be two persons, but you need to be very close to each other. I like that. I like the two people being and working closely together. One one brain feeding one from the other, one hand feeding the very interesting. Thank you, Julian. What a great way to start the show. Always always enjoy having you on. And those of you who listen to a lot of our Game Changer series may recognize Julian Kopp. He was on another series in February, so just a few months ago. Happy to have you back. And now let's turn to one of our two newcomers to Game Changers. It's Mike Flanagan. I already spelled his name. And he's got a quote from Einstein, Albert Einstein. 
1879 to 1955, German-born theoretical physicist who developed the theory of relativity. And if you have been hiding under a rock for the past, I don't know, couple of decades, you may not recognize the following formula. E equals mc squared. It's dubbed the world's most famous equation, mass energy equivalence formula. Yes, Albert Einstein did that. He received the 1921 Nobel Prize in Physics for his services to theoretical physics and for his discovery of the law of the photoelectric effect. I'm not even sure what that is, but it sounds interesting. Here's the quote Mike has picked. The true sign of intelligence is not knowledge, but imagination. Love this quote. Mike Flanagan, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Thanks, Bonnie. I'm great. Thank you for joining us. Talk to me about this quote. How'd you pick this one? Well, I think with the pace with which technology is evolving, the number of things that we're able to do that would have been inconceivable even just a couple of years ago uh, is, 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 is just astronomical. And, and if we are limited by what we believe to be possible, we will miss a lot of what is actually possible or what will be in the future. And so I think we need to, to think less about the limitations and the things that, that maybe we believed held us back in the past and really start imagining what could be possible because increasingly developments in technology are making things that were impossible, very possible for us. Very interesting. Mike, do you think we could teach the skill of imagination? Is it such a thing? Can you say to a a five-year-old, yes, think big and draw that picture on the wall or on the chalkboard or whatever on the sidewalk? Can you then take that child as a 12-year-old and maybe an 18-year-old who is more structured probably, has more rules? You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to go to this school. You've got to plan. You know how it works. And say to them, oh, can you hark back to the days when you just used your imagination, look at the world and create something? Do you think that's a, a teachable or a reinstructable moment, Mike? I think not only can we teach creativity and teach uh, the, the uh, embracing of creativity in individuals, but I think we can also do it in organizations and teaching people that it's okay to color outside the lines, it's okay to do it a little differently, and it's okay to try to do something and fail at it and learn from it and try it again and create something that couldn't have been created if you hadn't have failed a few times along the way. Thank you for bringing that up. That reminds me of the design thinking principle, fail fast and fail often. And you reminded me, I have to share a little story. Jana, just bear with me for a second before I get to you. Uh, Back in the day when my daughter was in kindergarten, Mike, I received one of her report cards from her teacher with a following note. And she said, I won't get my daughter's name. She doesn't like me to do that on the radio. But your daughter is coloring outside the lines. She needs to take remedial coloring. I swear I swear to God, Mike, seriously, she said she's not following the lines on the drawings in the book, in the coloring book in school, and we're very concerned about her skills. May I tell you, Mike, that my daughter was Phi Beta Kappa in her junior year at a very prestigious college. She was number one in her medical school class four or five years later. She went on to be a brilliant physician, and she did the most amazing artwork. I I used to collect her notebooks of her biology classes, and she hand-drew in pen and ink all of the diagrams of the body parts. So, Mike, so much for coloring outside the lines, right? We got a lesson there? 
Kids take it from Bonnie. Color outside the lines on purpose. It will come out of a famous position. Brilliant. Position. You're a you're a wonderful human being, Mike Flanagan. I'm so glad I met you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you for going with the flow. Jana Richter is our third guest, and she sent me a quote from it was uh, from Morpheus in the Matrix, uh, 1999 sci-fi film. I'm not a big sci-fi fan, Jana, but uh, I will just read a little background here. The Matrix is a 1999 sci-fi action film written and directed by the Wachowskis. It stars Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, and Joe Pantoliano. It depicts a dystopian future in which humanity is unknowingly trapped inside a simulated reality. The Matrix, created by thought-capable machines, which are artificial beings, to distract humans while using their bodies as an energy source. I'm just going to leave it alone. Uh, Thomas Anderson, under the hacker alias Neo, uncovers the truth. So here's the quote. Everybody get ready. If you're a Matrix fan, you're going to know this one. And here's the full quote. Neo, sooner or later, you're going to realize, just as I did, that there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Jana Richter, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Yeah, quite good. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, Love the quote. Are you, are you a big Matrix fan? Tell me about your movie habits. <laughs> Indeed, I like the movie, uh, and I like science fiction um, to a larger degree. And um, what I like about the movie specifically is this whole idea that you need to decide between what is, what is fiction, what is imagination, and what's actually reality and what should be reality. Right? So tell me, and how does this relate to... What does it relate to our topic? Because we're talking about reinventing. We're talking about automating your life. So where is the path? Walking it, talking it, creating it, thinking about it, imagining it. Give me a little more. Yeah. I mean, I think the quote itself, um, at least I can relate uh, relate this to a lot of situations in life and in business. Because it's not just important to know what you want to do, but it's equally important, or if not more, to really do this. this. This goes a bit along the lines of what Julian had as a quote as well to say, well, um, let's turn ideas into reality. And for computing and machine learning specifically, well, having an idea what to do is key, but you should really go this path to really, at the end of the day, reach the goal to establish a well-adopted case that runs productively, that is integrated into an end-to-end mission-critical business process, and that provides business value at the end of the day. Thank you very much. I'm I'm so intrigued as I was asking Mike Flanagan about coloring outside the lines. Mike, I will remember you forever for what you said. But talking about the word imagination, do you think that we can take these learnings and bring them not just to individuals along their growth and learning path, but into organizations? I think it's something, Jenna, we call change management. Say to a company, yeah, we've been around for a long time. Yeah, we have a good product. Yeah, our brand is, is iconic, but we've got to change so you know where we need to go. Now we got to walk that path. Do you think that's something that a lot of legacy companies are aware that they need to do to reinvent their business model, their outward-facing persona? What do you think, Jenna? I do think so. And I think it's not only a topic of, of legacy companies, right? It's of any company to say, let's first be innovative. And even if you are innovative, from this innovative edge to really bring this into a real production setup that can grow at large scale, that really runs 24-7, that's a major step too that in any kind of engineering discipline, people will struggle, but you need to go to the struggle to come to the, to the resolution and to the next step and to a really... 
um, yeah, innovation that, that turns business into um, the next dimension. Right. Thank you very, very much, Jana. Pleasure to meet you. Am I pronouncing your first name right, Jana? Is that the way you prefer? Yes. Yep. Okay, good. Yes. Like to make sure. I've had some very difficult, very, shall we say, interesting and challenging names to pronounce here on Game Changers Radio. So this, this panel is a pleasure. Not too much of a stretch. Julian Kopp, we want to reintroduce you to our audience because they may not. I don't know how they missed it, but they may not have heard you when you're on in February of this year, 2019. So Julian, I have three questions for you. Where are you calling from or where did we find you today? I think we called you. Number two, what's your favorite beverage in the whole world that powers you that I see that smile in your PR picture. I want to know what put that smile on your face in terms of a drink. And number three, why don't you bring us up to date? I know you are now a partner at Deloitte France, so tell us a little bit about your role, please. Julian? Sure. So I'm calling from, uh, from Paris in France. Um, I've, been, uh, I've been working in Paris uh, since I graduated and uh, I'm still there. Um, my favorite drink in the world is this coffee. I guess, uh, you know, everybody, every engineer I know, or software engineer I know has been addicted to coffee from school. So uh, it has to be coffee, even though uh, some other drinks makes me smile a little bit more. Uh, hmm. But, uh, you know, last time I talked about wine, we're in France. So wine is, of course, uh, the drink of choice. And um, to tell you a bit more about myself, so uh, I'm a partner at Deloitte France, and I'm in charge of the, what we call the Digital Factory. So this is a, a team that has been created uh, with a pool of talent um, coming from, from different uh, range of technology. So we have um, software robots, we have uh, DevOps, uh, cloud, uh, data, artificial intelligence uh, team members, and they're all in the same floor, in the same team. And the point was to be able to answer our customers' needs uh, a lot faster than before. Uh, we are able to prototype and, and deliver a prototype in a matter of days, uh, sometimes over the weekend, because we were also, uh, you know, working hard sometimes. Uh, but the, the, the idea was to say um, more and more, uh, whether it's your end customers or our end customers, everybody wants uh, everything more immediately. Uh, this is a day and age where you want an instant answer, even though it's 2 a.m. So you're uh, chat, having a chat with a chatbot at 2 a.m. And, and you expect to have an answer. So uh, this is the same in business, I guess. Uh, we see uh, the need for speed has never been uh, uh, stronger. So we created this organization to, to be able to deliver that and change Deloitte, but also uh, help our customers uh, change themselves. And as you were saying, uh, change is a, is a big part of, of what we do. Excellent. Thank you. I have a quick story to tell you, Julie, and I recently was looking for a personal trainer. I'm just too busy to go to a gym and I just don't want to. So I went online and I found a company called Find Your Trainer. What a great URL, findyourtrainer.com. And I did. And they do it by zip code. So I needed help uh, signing up for a couple of dates to book my trainer. So it was one o'clock in the morning. I work very late sometimes and I'm on their website and something just didn't add up to me. The, the credits, the charges, I prepaid for a couple of training sessions and the trainer is very good but I was having trouble so it said do you want to chat and I entered the chat box and I said yes and they said how may we help you and I'm typing in Julian I thought I saw the word bot come up and this person is saying if you go back you'll see that your credits are being applied and the current charge is zero because you already prepaid and I thought I saw the word saw the word bot so I thought I was going to be cute and I said to the person Joshua are you a bot and the answer came back hell no I'm a live person and I'm here for you, Bonnie. How are you? <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. 
then you know what they did that made it even better? They put pushed the whole chat transcript out to the email I had on file. So I saw everything we had chatted about in an email that arrived immediately in my inbox. I thought that was amazing, but I accused him of being a bot because I said, who in the world would be on at 1 o'clock in the morning? And you know what? Yes, I'm going to back up my mic a little bit. My engineer just told me. I, who, I, I accused this guy of being a bot because who would be there to talk to me at 1 o'clock in the morning? And, and it was a real person. So that was quite a surprise. Julian, so happy to have you back. And we have so much to talk to you about. Mike Flanagan, you're up next and you know the drill. Where are you calling from? What's your favorite drink that powers you to be so smart, Mike Flanagan? Because I know you are. And what's your role? You know, just quickly before I answer the question, Bonnie, what you're talking about uh, is, is that inability to distinguish between a bot and yes. human. Yes. And there's a thing called the Turing test, which maybe we can talk about later. But it, it is... Tell us about it now, Mike. Tell us about it now. Go ahead. Well, it was something that was developed in the 1950s by Alan Turing, and the idea was it was a test that would uh, determine whether or not a machine could exhibit uh, behavior that was indistinguishable from that of a human. And the bottom line is that it took a very long time for us to get to a point where machines could pass the Turing test, but now more and more they are. And so it is becoming less and less distinguishable uh, to us as humans whether we're talking with a bot or whether we're talking with a real person, as I think your interaction proves. Thank you very much. And by the way, the Turing test was developed by Alan Turing, A-L-A-N-T-U-R-I-N-G, in 1950, a test of a machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior equivalent to or indistinguishable from that of a human. And anybody wants to look it up, just put in T-U-R-I-N-G, and the next word is test, and you will go to the Wikipedia page and learn all about it. Thank you for that, Mike. Now... Where are you? What do you love to drink? And what do you do? Calling from a city where lots of technology is being developed, but we are known as the live music capital of the world, Austin, Texas. Yay. And I think um, my, my very favorite uh, drink is uh, red wine because it almost always comes with great conversation and a great backstory. Uh, and I, I think um, those two things help me enjoy a glass of wine even more than I would otherwise. I Coffee bet you have a favorite brand. Do you have a favorite label, Mike? It's impossible to pick just one. It all depends okay. on <laughs> what you're pairing it with. And what you're... Anyway. Uh, oh, okay, am, go ahead. As you, mm-hmm. uh, as, as you uh, introduced me, Senior Vice President of Intelligent Enterprise Solutions at SAP, I'm responsible for uh, helping our customers figure out how to infuse intelligence into their enterprise operations so that they can... Uh, become more intelligent companies, more automated companies, uh, and largely that involves helping them figure out how to incorporate artificial intelligence into core business process. Okay, very nice to have you on. I love the word intelligent in in with enterprise. I love it in anything that we do. I think we need to as, aspire to that, ascribe to that, and help people do that in their lives. And that's what this show is really about, Mike. It's reinventing life and business, and that's what we're looking for. So thank you for having that title, and thank you for your information. We'll be looking for you over a glass of good red wine somewhere in Texas soon. Jana Richter, I want to know where you're calling from today or where did we find you? What's your favorite drink? You can be very specific if you'd like. And what is your role at machine learning, Leonardo Machine Learning Applications at SAP? Go ahead, Jana. Yeah, as my name already tells, I'm from Germany. Um, so I'm living next to um, Mannheim or Speyer, a small village, <laughs> which is pretty 
really nice. Actually, it's a very nice region. And um, yeah, my favorite drinks, actually that varies uh, throughout the year. At the moment, um, I like drinking sparkling water with elderflower syrup um, because mm. it's, it's homemade by myself, the syrup. Um, and at the moment in, in late spring, the elderflowers are blooming. So that's the time um, when I create the syrup. And of course, you can combine it with sparkling wine as well. It's not just with sparkling water, pretty nice. Lovely. Sounds delicious. How do you make the syrup? What's the recipe? Well, you just pick the flowers, um, you put them uh, into sugar um, and water, and then you have it for a couple of days, and then you cook it and put it into um, bottles that have been roughly cleaned uh, beforehand, and that usually then lasts for a full year until the next blooming season happens. (laughs) Very nice. Thank you. And tell us about your role at SAP. Chief product owner, what do you do? Yeah, um, so I'm the chief product owner in Leonardo Machine Learning Apps. So chief product owner means that I'm responsible for the portfolio in the unit that I work for. Um, And the unit is Leonardo Machine Learning Apps. So that's actually a group which creates first applications and services to bring machine learning into SAP business solutions like S4HANA, C4HANA, Concur, SuccessFactors. And we typically work with those units and we work in co-innovations with customers to create the applications and then to scale them. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to have Mike and always nice to speak with Julie. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. It's a cloudy day, uh, quite overcast sky. We went from a 40-degree daily temperature range. Mike, I don't know if you have that in Texas, but you'd wake up at around 65 degrees and it would be almost 100 a couple of hours later and then dip down maybe into the 70s in the early evening. Today we got a very modest 10 or 12-degree range. I think we're going to go up into the mid-70s and we're expecting thunderstorms. Rain, rain, go away. I'm not allowed to have anything with caffeine on radio show days, and this is my second live show today. I had two live shows yesterday, so I will tell you that all I'm allowed to have is cool, clear water, but I have a an announcement here. I've been reading up on the problem with plastics gunking up our rivers, our streams, our oceans all over the world, choking out lots of species that mistake the plastic gunk, I'll call it, for food, and uh, creating a, a problem with a lot of sea life. So I switched to paper straws. They're five times more expensive than the plastic, which is fine, and they come in a little box. They're red and white striped like a barber pole, and they're called compostable. So today is the first day I opened the box of straws, so I'm drinking my cool, clear water from a red and white paper straw. It doesn't taste exactly good, but I'm going to get used to it because it's good for the environment. So I'm saying thank you to whoever gave me this option. There we go. You're listening if you're just joining. This is one of our newest series here on Game Changers Radio. We broadcast all of our series on the Business Channel on World Talk Radio. You may know them as voiceamerica.com. We're definitely global. This series is called Reinventing Life and Business with Game Changers. Big shout out to the lady who did a lot of lifting to put this together, Vivian Wong. Thank you so much. And she works with Michelle Hickey, who is the sponsor of the series. We're talking today about automating your business and your life, embracing technologies. My very special panelists are Julian Kopp, KOPP at Deloitte, Mike Flanagan at SAP, and Jana Richter at SAP. We're going to take a very, very quick, well-deserved break, 90 seconds. That's all we've got. And we'll be right back. We're going to kick off the formal roundtable with some fascinating notes that Julian Kopp sent me before the show. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, however you're listening to us. We're not going away too far, and don't you either. Aaron, out.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In a world of digital disruption, the volume of data is endless. It's changing the way we live and work. What do you want to do with it? Get end-to-end visibility and transparency? Predictive insights? Drive operational excellence? Increase profits? Realize the digital promise today? Let's get started. Reinventing life and business with Game Changers brings you insights from the forward-thinking technology leaders who are making that happen. We'll delve into what it means to digitally transform your business from the top floor to the shop floor. We'll discuss how innovation is impacting every facet of life and business. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top innovation and strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how intelligent technologies are shaping the future for all of us. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to Reinventing Life and Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Reinventing Life and Business with Game Changers. That's exactly what we're doing, helping you reinvent your life. We are embracing technologies today. We're talking about automation. I have Julian Kopp at Deloitte France, Mike Flanagan at SAP, and Jana Richter at SAP. I'm still working hard on your last name, Jana, and I hope I'm doing a good job. I'm really trying here. Let's start off the roundtable with Julian Kopp. Julian sent me something about machines and humans, education, electrical versus steam. The horses, we'll get to that later, but we're going to start off the roundtable with the following statements from Julian. Healthcare... Artificial intelligence and machine learning impacts are tremendous. Diagnosing earlier, more often, cheaper, further, for more people, at scale never achieved before. Julian, such a fascinating topic, and everybody everywhere in the world wants to know what's my health going to be, or how do I improve it, or how do I stick around. So, great topic. Why don't you tell us what you have on your mind for this, Julian, and then we'll invite Mike and Janet to chime in. Julian Kopp, all yours. Yeah, of course. So um, whenever I think about AI and ML, I have to think about health because it's a, it's a universal matter. You know, everybody wants to be more uh, in a better shape and, and things like this. And, and I think uh, part of the revolution we're discussing, because we're discussing, you know, new gadgets and digitalization and things like this, um, you have to, to really understand that there's a mix of uh, software, hardware, and different technologies together with calculating power. Uh, now we're able to do things that are literally, um, that, that, that were science fiction just a few years ago. So mm-hmm. when, uh, when the iWatch, uh, ECG feature was released, and a lot of other watch now have these type of features, but the idea was to say that you could, you know, prevent a cardiac uh, incident or, or something that could literally end your life or, or put you, uh, in a very bad shape, uh, just by having this device that not only gives you the time and, and does email and other things, but does something as fundamental as making sure that, that you're doing okay. And and from that, they built other features, like if you fall and, and, and you know, the, the device notice that you, you're having an issue, then can make an automated call um, to, to emergency services. I think this is definitely one of the, of the most fascinating discussion together with uh, 
what's happening uh, for uh, you know the MRI field where now we have uh, uh, proven that the machines and, and, and artificial intelligence is having better results than, than the experts in, in finding cancer cells and things like this. Um, so I think this is really interesting together with this ability to deliver healthcare remotely uh, to, to populations that may be uh, you know, very far and, and remote. So um, all of this is, is actually extremely exciting, and, and this also comes with uh, um, what you have on the service side. And, and I know if you look at researchers and, and universities, they're, they're partnering now with technology giants to, to have access to this data, because before that you used to, to have trials, you have to have a few people that were able to give you data. And now you can say any people, person wearing an iWatch can actually participate into the program and we're going to change the world that way because we're going to, to have a lot more data and the ability to process a lot of data. Uh, so I think this is actually extremely, extremely exciting. Julian, thank you. Before I bring Mike in, I'm just wondering if you think there's an excitement value to the new technologies, the wearables, the idea that you don't have to be in a doctor's office or a hospital to have an EKG done or read, that you can have almost a medical concierge service on call. Some people actually do. Do you think there's an excitement that takes people like me who don't like to go to the doctor very often where we'll say, wow, I can do that from my home, from my Apple Watch, from my computer, from my iPhone, and I can still get good medical care. So what do you think? Is there, there this excitement, this new energy in being able to take care of your health through all of this new technology? Yeah, I think it's actually one of the, the biggest selling points for these devices. I'm going to be fairly honest. I'm a, I'm a big watch fan. I have quite a few of these. Uh, I never considered getting a smartwatch because I like the classic watches. But uh, mm-hmm. just for that reason only, I'm willing to switch to uh, to an iWatch, which is interesting. I used to work for Apple. I have every Apple device you can imagine. But the one mm-hmm. thing I was resisting was the watch. But the moment they delivered that value, I didn't see that as just uh, you know a gadget or something. I said, okay, I, I, it can help me in my daily life, and, and, and I should definitely consider this for that. So I think it's... Uh, the giants uh, of technology are seeing that, you know, people want purpose in, in what they buy and, and, and get value that, that is a little bit more than just a gadget. And uh, I, think, I think this is definitely the, the way a lot of things are going these days. Thank you very much. Mike Flanagan, love to have you join us talking. Let's stay on this healthcare topic. Thoughts, agree or disagree with Julie and anything you'd like to add or subtract? Mike, go ahead. The idea of precision medicine, Bonnie, is uh, incredible. It's um, you've been proven time and time again that machines are far more accurate than people at any number of tasks in medicine. And so uh, there is definitely a huge potential for improving the way that patients are treated. I think, though, that there is a, a human consideration that comes alongside the incredible potential of the technology, uh, which is people like to feel comfortable with their doctor. They like to mm-hmm. build a, a trusted relationship with their yes. doctor. They want it to feel personal. And so there's a balancing act that needs to be done uh, as we think about how to apply this technology in medicine uh, to make sure that it doesn't become so impersonal that people don't go to the doctor. Because if you don't come in and you don't get the test and you don't give the machine the opportunity to diagnose you, the fact that it's much more accurate at diagnosing you makes no difference for you in the ultimate outcome of whatever's wrong with you. So we've got to make sure that we find a way to implement technology that has the ability to improve patient outcomes while maintaining that human touch that makes people show up in the first place. 
Very interesting. Makes people show up in the first place. That's a very telling statement, and showing up is could be as simple as a device. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, this begs the question, Mike, about people who are not in a healthcare system, maybe don't have insurance, or people who are, I'll just use the word older, uh, shall we say from a, a not current, not new, not young generational demographic cohort. I'm trying to be very gentle about this. I'm a boomer, so I'm not too sensitive about that. But people who might say, ah, new devices like Julian, I like a classic watch. What do I want a smart watch for? Well, maybe your family wants you to have it because it's good for you and it makes them feel better. So all kinds of cultural impacts. Jenna Richter, join us. Thoughts on healthcare innovations, reinvention the concept of taking care of your health. What do you think? Yeah, maybe to add a European perspective to that, Please. Uh, especially in the sector of, of healthcare. Um, in Europe, there's a lot of data privacy concerns um, if you listen into or if you look into those kind of scenarios, right? There's a huge medical benefit um, that has a, a large potential, of course, to detect um, what might happen with you and even proactively give some indicators that should tell you to go to a doctor now. But there's, of course, this fear of being a glass person, too. So meaning there's some Hmm. arbitrary vendors out there or software companies or medical companies that get all your personal data, right? Um, So it's really key to make sure that um, whatever is stored there or whatever data is collected there and then stored, um, it's really just stored what's needed and that whatever is stored, that this is safely um, put into a place where not every mm-hmm. kind of company can get access to this data because I think worst case might be um, that this data might be misused. So let's think yes. of an insurance company that increases the fees just because they figure out lately you've been lazy and you have done your 10,000 steps a day. Right? Yeah. So um, I think there's quite a huge trust factor to this to um, what you want to do and where um, that line ends for you and where you say, no, I rather want to have this personal contact with a doctor, as Mike just mentioned, instead of just having every data being absorbed um, by a company if you don't know the benefit and the value. Very interesting perspective. Thank you for that. And, and Jenna, this reminds me, several years ago on one of our much earlier Game Changers shows, I think we talked about there was a, a bank, I think it was in Russia, where if you used a smartwatch or a smartphone to track your exercise and you were on the bank's app and you did a certain number of could-be steps or workouts and it was tracked through obviously your private data and you had to give them permission to access this data. If you achieved a certain level of quote-unquote health through exercise and made them aware of it, they would give you special rates on a loan or a mortgage or, or on a bank account on interest. Do you, do you remember that, Jenna, in, back in the day? It was quite a few years ago. I mean, with, with Russia, I don't remember this one specifically, but that's one of the scenarios where, in general, you wonder, well, why should mm-hmm. this company now get this data, right? And what would happen if I expose the data and it doesn't meet the expectations? Or what if I don't expose my data? Um, would I then get worse conditions? So it's really something that, that could be very beneficial, but really explaining why you do it and do it very consciously and just making sure that this data is then not sold to anyone else at the end of the day um, is, is quite key. <laughs> Thank anybody, I heard yeah, somebody else in the background. Mike or, or Julian, yeah, yeah. you want to jump in on this? Please, go ahead. Yeah, Julian, here. I think uh, yes. I remember part of the story. So in Russia, they did a thing where if you were also exercising in front of a machine in the subway, you could get a ride for free. So that was part of one story. 
But uh, two weeks ago, there was uh, something that made the rounds on social media, and it was in China, where it was an insurance, self-insurance, that did this. And what happened is uh, some people started selling a device that will uh, make your phone exercise, but not you. So basically, there's something on your desk where your mm-hmm. phone is just going to vibrate in the way to make it look like you're actually exercising. And um, basically, yes, of course, if we then, you know, link this activity to a business or a value or a contract, then people will always find a way to trick that. I think I was more discussing the, the positive benefit on, on anybody that will use the device for his personal health. But there will always be some people that will trick the system to make it look like they're exercising. Um, two weeks ago in the, in the news on social media, it was all over. Interesting. And I found the article, Jana. It's dated back from June 2014, so it's five years ago. And the title is, this was news by Fintech Collective. In Russia, Alpha Bank is looking to reward customers for exercising. Taking the link between financial savings and health benefits to an even more literal level, we've come across a Russian bank offering a new account which rewards customers for every step they take, and it was 6% a year. So I, I'm just glad I was able to find it because I, when I remember this stuff, sometimes it just kind of hits me on the side of the face and I say, was I right? Yes, I found it. Good good discussion on this. Mike, anything you want to chime in on, on this? Because I'm ready to move to some of your discussion statements. Mike Flanagan, any other comments on uh, health care and permission, loyalty, trust, access? Any thoughts? Other than just to say, I think it uh, is always going to be a balance, and ultimately that balancing act uh, and what tips the scale towards, yes, I'm willing to give my personal information or no, I'm not, always has to rest in the hands of the person uh, whose private information would be used. And so I think as long as businesses design these sort of reward or or, um, incentive schemes with consumer choice in mind, uh, mm-hmm. We'll all be able to make our own decisions about how much of our information we're willing to provide to someone in return or exchange for uh, a benefit in much the same way that we decide today if we're willing to share our email addresses and phone numbers for loyalty card benefits. Uh, and as long as we do that and give the consumers that power and that choice, uh, you know, I, I think we can stay clear of, of danger. Thank you very much. Danger in them, our hills. Mike Flanagan, I'm looking at your notes here, and here's where I'd like to go. This is very optimistic, very hopeful, very positive. You say, look, using, cor- I'm sorry, used correctly, there we go, artificial intelligence has the potential to be the greatest equalizer in the history of humanity, and then you put in parentheses, removing bias with AI. Mike, give us some use cases or just expand us for me so we know more about what you want to say. I think we need to be honest about the fact that historically uh, there are many groups of people who have been treated poorly, right? typically those who are in a minority, and obviously the, the representation of that minority is different depending on where you're from, where you live, which country you're in, which region you're in. Um, a, lot of those, uh, a lot of those explicit biases, a lot of those explicit discriminatory practices have been outlawed, uh, thankfully. However, I think there are still, you know, quite a lot of places in which unintended bias exists. Um, yeah, just as a uh, tangible example, if I'm looking through a pile of resumes and I come to someone whose name I simply have no idea how to pronounce, it's human nature for me to be less likely to pick up the phone and call that person and invite them in for an interview. Mm-hmm. It's not something where uh, the hiring manager intends to, to be biased, but mm-hmm. in fact it is a form of bias in that they are not giving someone an opportunity to interview for a role because they are from 
someplace or, uh, you know, have a, a different uh, first language than the hiring manager. And, and that is a form of bias that can be eliminated uh, to a large extent by having well-trained algorithms that select candidates' resumes from a pile of resumes on the basis purely of their qualifications for the job. Um, I think the same uh, scenario is true in terms of pay equality, which is an issue that uh, you know SAP is very vocal about uh, and um, very committed to, as I know many of uh, of other uh, large enterprises are. Um, but there is still a lack of equality in pay in most large companies between men and women, and mm-hmm. uh, across uh, across uh, various other lines as well. And that's not good. It's not good for the motivation of employees. It's not good for the, the, the long-term future of the company, and it should be reduced to the point of, uh, of, of being eliminated. There's not an intended bias in a lot of cases, but you know, when, when we look at pay equality, there is, in fact, a disparity. And eliminating that disparity can, uh, you know, can, can largely be furthered by employing algorithms that help determine what is the right amount of annual pay increase or pay adjustment, salary adjustment, you know, bonus adjustment that is done for an employee um, rather than leaving it purely to the discretion of managers who, you know, again, may have all the best intentions but have unintended bias. Thank you very much. And that always brings up the question, Mike, about who is writing or designing those algorithms, how biased or unbiased are they. And that always goes back. You know, there was an old phrase when I was uh, back in the programming days. And, yes, I was back in the days when we were keep punching our car, holler with 80-column cars. I don't think anybody in this call remembers those days. But I was there as a mainframer on uh, Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 and then an IBM 4341. Yes, where a a computer room was as big as, as a supermarket. Yeah. I remember those days. But what I want to say, we had a phrase of, of guy go garbage in, garbage out. And I've talked about this with some of my blockchain experts on some of our other episodes of Game Changers Radio. And it, it's always, what what's the data putting into a blockchain, for example? How good is it? How clean is it? How valid is it? How true is it? And what you're going to get out on the other end. And I think the, the question that comes up is, if you want to remove bias through AI algorithms, who is writing those algorithms? Who is deciding how to remove that bias from the process? So that's always, the, to me, the human part. I want to get Jenna Richter to Richter to chime in on, on this. What do you think? Really great topic Mike brought up about AI being such a great equalizer for humanity. What do you think, Jenna? Uh, I would be along the lines of what you just said, right? Um, saying the machine learning algorithms typically depend on historical data. So you need a lot of historical data to really have then machine learning algorithms work on top of this data and then... Um, yeah, recognize patterns and derive the right decision tree, right? So if you have bad historical data, which of course acts on a lot of bias, there's a certain likelihood that your machine learning algorithm might be similar biased like all the decisions that have been done in the past. Um, and that's of course one of the things which, which is quite uh, deterministic in, in the machine learning cases to really make sure that the data you have as a basis is first of all sufficient and that you're pretty sure that the quality is very high and that this is the pattern that you want to have um, in similar lines in the future. Um, If you already know, well, we've done a lot of wrong or biased decisions in the past and all the data that is in our systems is not uh, correct, it might help to say, well, let's change the process, let's collect some more data and let's then have a machine learning algorithm on top. Or 
let's get some data from, from outside, right? And let's not pick our data, um, which obviously has been wrong. So if we know there's been a lot of bias in the past, probably we shouldn't just take our data and let the machine learn from that, but um, rather find some other ways. What Thank is pretty you. much key yep. in ahead. this mm-hmm. topic too, yeah. um, I would say is the whole topic of interpretable machine learning. So to really make sure that your machine learning algorithm isn't biased, Probably you want to understand at the end of the day which decision has been done by this ML algorithm and based on which main factors. So to have, it, have explainability within your machine learning algorithms helps as well to then go in and say, well, there's been a lot of decisions now done automatically or a lot of recommendations done, but I would like to understand where those come from. And then even as you go, you might figure out, well, what are the main factors that typically um, play in here and then be conscious if there's something that you need to retune and um, refine as you go. Thank you. Jenna, uh, thank you for uh, agreeing or acknowledging what I had said. I appreciate that. It's always, that's the big question and trust. Julian Kopp, join us. Thoughts on where do the algorithm come from? What is the historical data? How do you actually use it for the good of getting rid of bias? Any thoughts on that, Julian, machine learning, AI? Well, I think, uh, again, uh, starting from the original quote, uh, AI has so much potential that, yes, it can be, be used in so many ways as an equalizer, but it can also be, you know, there's some risk associated to what you do with it. So we, we as a society, have to define some, some limits in what we intend to do with it. I can think, uh, you know, these days about what you can do with uh, deep fakes. So basically, this is a video uh, where which you can make from just a picture of me, and you will have me say anything, and, and even my mom will believe I'm saying some really weird things. So I think we have to, to really define as well how we're going to use this, this incredible tool. I know uh, Sundar Pichai, you know, famously said that it was going to be a bigger impact than, than fire or, or electricity. And, and, of course, I love this idea and I believe in it. Uh, but now we have to be careful with uh, what we do with it. And just um, yes. coming back to what was said about the resumes, I have a funny story, too. So you can fight bias with, uh, with an automated uh, resume sorter. But then your machine that is picking up the resumes can have its own bias. And there's this famous story of uh, uh, people that started to write some famous uh, school names in white, mm-hmm. on white paper on their PDF and to make their, their resume go up the pile because the, the machine will consider that they went to Harvard or, or, this, or to the MIT. When in fact, you know, a human being could not see this information, but the machine was seeing the information. And we had this discussion in the office where HR was telling me, I will fire or not even consider this candidate. And I, I looked at him and said, I want to have a chat with him because he knew how to trick the system. And he did ah. it on purpose. And I want to have a chat with him at least, you know, to have him in front of me and to say, how did you know we use a machine to do this type of work? And, and mm-hmm. you did something smart. So let's have a chat. And, and I think this is another another part going back to even machines can have some bias and we have to be careful with that. Thank you. Julian, that is going to constitute your crystal ball prediction because uh, the, bringing in the human factor was very important. Mike Flanagan, we're almost out of time. I'm going to give you 30 seconds for a quick prediction on what will change. We have such a broad topic today, but we've honed in on some really key elements of AI for good, machine learning, where do the algorithms come from, how do you trust, what's it going to do for healthcare, for the workplace. Really good conversation. Mike, 30 seconds, give me a quick prediction, please. And then, Jana, you'll be ready for yours. Veet, veet, go ahead. It'll change slower than technology, but my prediction is that over time, culture inside of companies 
uh, about the application of artificial intelligence and uh, having humans and machines work side by side will eventually change. It will evolve to the point where people start trusting uh, the machines a bit more. They start thinking about how they can reduce some of the mundane, repetitive things that they do in favor of working side by side with artificial intelligence. Um, It'll change slower than technology, but it'll change. But it'll change. Uh, It's optimism in there. Jana Richter, 30 seconds, all yours. Veet, veet, fast, fast. Julian knows that. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my assumption is that um, specifically there will be a blending between machine learning and user and consumer experience, right? There's this one side of automating a lot of repetitive tasks, but I think there's even a bigger potential of really bringing machine learning to give some more recommendations, some more insight to wherever you are, um, that brings all the information to the fingertips of the users or the, of the consumers that could be relevant. Thank you very much. And I, we're going to close, but I have a quick comment back to you, Julian. I'm, I had to update my resume recently, and I'm working with a, a company that's advising me on it, and they told me, don't go any farther back than 10 years because it will give away your age and nobody will want to hire you. And I recently, so you put it in the summary, other experience, and you don't put the years you work there. You just put a little headline. I did this, my title, and bingo, in and out. And I recently read an article that said, 50-year-olds, 5-0, are having trouble finding jobs because they are too old for what a lot of companies want in the workforce. I'm just going to leave it at that. So I want to thank my three panelists. This was a really interesting discussion. Julian Kopp, Mike Flanagan, Jana Richter, I really appreciate your time. Shout out again to Michelle Hickey and Vivian Wong, who did all the work to put this together. Vivian, turned out really great. Thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio. That's our programming for this week. I'll be back with many more new series next week on Game Changers Radio. So here's my shout out and get ready, everyone. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like my wonderful panelists, Julian Kopp at Deloitte France, Mike Flanagan, and Jana Richter at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Reinventing Life and Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.